Hi podcasters, have you missed us? We've had a couple of weeks off from news on the fly, but we are back with a vengeance, which is lucky because there has been so much going on in the travel industry. In fact, here at Travel Daily, we've been busier than a cross-eyed air traffic controller, pre-COVID of course. We finally have a trans-Tasman travel bubble, and I think that there's actually been a few days without a snap lockdown, at least in most of the country. On top of that, money is flowing from the second round of the grants program for the travel industry, and lots happening on the cruise front. Well, at least in the rest of the world. There is so much to chat about, so let's get into it. From Travel Daily, I'm Bruce Piper. And I'm Anna Piper. And this is News on the Fly. Well, as Rachel Hunter once famously said, it didn't happen overnight, but it did happen. It took about seven weeks from the announcement of the second round of the Travel Industry Grants Program until applications actually opened. But the money is now flowing from the second $130 million round of the COVID-19 Consumer Travel Support Program. So Bruce, what has the reaction to all of this been? Well, naturally, there's lots of relief. Um, you know, we were definitely on tenterhooks because the top line information had been revealed way back on, I think, the 11th of March by Tourism Minister Dan Tian. But after all the controversy of the way the first round was calculated, there was also lots of uncertainty. And of course, you've got businesses, you know, waiting to see, you know, can they pay their staff? How long can they survive? Um, you know, wanting to know how the money would actually be distributed. And, of course, as we discussed in our last episode, in the midst of all this waiting, we had the shock resignation of AFTA CEO Darren Rudd, who had certainly been right in the thick of all the negotiations. Anyway, AFTA's board has definitely stepped in to keep the pressure on, and so finally, last Sunday at 3.15am, actually, the portal finally opened, allowing people to apply for the next round of the grant scheme. And now that it's out in the open, what does it all look like? Are there significant changes from the first round? Well, as usual, you can't make everybody happy, Uh, apart from, I'd have to say, people at the low end with quite low turnover levels, uh, sole traders and so forth, and that's because the payment tiers have been simplified, and in particular, the minimum payment, which was 1500 bucks in the first round, has jumped up to 7500 this time. So those small agents, small businesses, will suddenly have a much healthier bank balance, and I believe it should make quite a difference to them. Not so much with the big guys. The maximum payment on the program is still $100,000, which sounds like a lot, but there are some groups that have got multiple agencies operating under a single ABN, and you know, $100,000 really doesn't even scratch the surface for them. But the other big change from the first round is that if you did manage to navigate your way through that minefield and get your application approved, it's super easy this time. There's no paperwork to lodge, basically. It's based on what you submitted the first time, and I've heard that actually a lot of people have already got the second round payments in their bank accounts. Wow, well, that's a bit of a contrast, but I understand there's still also some confusion about how it's calculated, because some people from that first round got more than what was intended by the program. Has there been any clarification about that? Well, they've tried to clear things up. Basically, I believe the intention was that the first round would be based on business income, but clearly that's always been a misunderstanding about turnover and TTV just because of the way that the travel industry operates. And I know that AFTA and Cato really tried hard to get the way the grant was calculated to be changed for this second round, to move away from that G1 figure that is, you know, seems to be inconsistently applied across the industry. 
But I think after the first round involved all that mucky muck with the tax office, special letters having to be generated and sent and uploaded, I think Services Australia and Austrade just didn't want to open up another can of worms. So yes, it's based on business turnover, business income, not TTV, but still the figure that was reported in your G1 which I find a bit confusing because that G1 in some cases was based on TTV in the first round. You're supposed to declare that and then you get nothing. There's going to be an audit process. So, you know, still a little bit complicated. Huh. And is that the case? Will people who got money the first time now get nothing? My impression is that that is definitely the intention. Look, as we're all learning, government programs like this are a pretty blunt instrument And while it should in the end mean that 130 million bucks is going to flow into the industry or a total of 258 million, that's great news. But I think it's definitely not being shared around as much as some would have hoped. And I should note that many businesses, well, for example, like Travel Daily and indeed AFTA itself, Cato, lots of suppliers, lots of people on the fringes don't benefit at all. But we're all hoping there's a halo effect because you know there is cash flowing into the system, that money should get spent, and it should definitely keep people engaged in the industry. And what's been the reaction from AFTA and Cato then? Is anyone talking about these perceived shortcomings? Definitely not. No mention of any shortcomings, and I think that that's probably appropriate. As we have learnt from the Darren Rudd era, in the end, with politicians holding the purse strings and the industry with its begging bowl out, you don't bite the hand that feeds you. Wow, was that three metaphors in a single sentence? Very impressive. While there haven't yet been the wholesale industry closures that some behind the well-meaning but ultimately ill-intentioned Save the Travel Industry campaign predicted, there was a significant collapse last month with the appointment of administrators to Nexus Holidays. What's the story there? I'm pretty sure Nexus was a pretty big business in its heyday, um, it initially started out as a group tour operator to China, but um, you know, I guess having achieved a bit of success there, expanded to a really global portfolio and added cruising in the in the later days. Those with good memories will recall that they promoted for some time directly to the trade. They definitely did um, you know advertising and editorials in Travel Bulletin, but I'm not sure if they ever signed a preferred agreement with any of the big retail groups. They did carve out this niche in fulfilment for the industry disruptors like the now-defunct Webjet exclusives, Luxury Escapes, Tripadeal, Inspiring Vacations, etc. Anyway, it looks as though the directors have seen the writing on the wall with the COVID-19 downturn, and they don't want to trade the business insolvently, so they've appointed administrators. And are they holding credits? Do we have any idea of how many customers or existing bookings are actually affected by this yet? Not yet, um, but you know, watch this space. Administrators are still combing through the books and they have to report publicly and I'll keep my eye out for that. It's definitely a highly complex situation, particularly with the involvement of, um, you know, particularly Webjet exclusives, which is a business that's now been shut down by Webjet as part of its sort of rationalisation through the pandemic. It is my understanding that some customers who held credits with Webjet exclusives had them pass on to the suppliers, including Nexus Holidays, And of course, now the administrators of Nexus have said there's no money to provide refunds or operate tours. So those clients will become unsecured creditors. And, you know, as this nature of these things, they'll probably end up getting nothing. But the original contract was probably with Webjet exclusives. So that business will start getting sucked into the vortex again. It's also interesting 
to note that it's not the first time that a key supplier to these disruptors has ceased trading. The same thing happened almost exactly a year ago with the closure of a company called Travel Asia, which again left Webjet, Inspiring Vacations and Luxury Escapes owed lots of money, as well as Kogan Travel, I believe. There's also a really interesting connection in that Benny Wong, who was one of the directors of Travel Asia, that company that collapsed a year ago, he's based in Canada. So is Matthew Wang, who is a director of Nexus Holidays. And more than that, they both live in the same Vancouver suburb called Richmond, about a five-minute drive apart. Hmm. Do we know if there's any connection? No idea, but it does sound like they might have something in common. I fear we may never know. Don't miss the May edition of Travel Bulletin. In this edition, read about how AFTA chairman Tom Mannering has led the Federation through the perfect storm over the last 12 months and what the future holds for AFTA. Plus, all the latest on the current state of the travel industry, issues and trends, and much more. Keep your eyes on your inbox and head to travelbulletin.com.au to make sure you don't miss out on the May edition. The prospects for any widespread restart to Australian cruising seem to be firmly stuck in neutral at the moment. Despite the best efforts of Cruise Lines Industry Association Australasia, and other stakeholders. So Bruce, has there been any progress at all since our last podcast a few weeks ago about this? Unfortunately, very little that's been made public. I'm sure there's lots going on behind the scenes still. There was an update from APT, which confirms that they are pressing on with a Western Australian-only Kimberley season, I think starting in June. Unfortunately, it doesn't set a precedent for the rest of the industry because as APT CEO Chris Hall told me, their ship, I think the Caledonian Sky, is pretty much unique in that it carries 99 passengers and is excluded from the wider federal ban on large cruise ships. Even so, the restrictions we talked about last time, which were imposed by the Northern Territory Government at a stroke of a pen, basically meaning there can only be a maximum of two ships in Darwin at a time, or perhaps I think it might even be in NT waters. Anyway, that uncertainty means APT has decided it's just going to do itineraries between Broome and Wyndham, i.e. totally within Western Australian waters. It is great news for APT, which is finally able to run a touring and cruising program. Uh, It's great for its staff, the wider industry, and of course the customers who are itching for a holiday. Yeah, that is good news. What about the rest of the world? As the northern summer ramps up, are there any improving prospects for a wider relaunch? Well, yes, fingers crossed. Uh, Basically, for most of the cruise lines, it's all about the USA, which is such a massive market for them, and of course many of them are US-based. And there, finally, the vaccine rollout is happening. And according to the US Consul General, uh, I went to an event at her place in Sydney the other night, much, much faster than the targets that were set by the administration. And so it looks like we might see this cruising blockage cleared sooner rather than later, finally. And the big news is that finally, after months of silence, there's been a further update from the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, about the new situation, and in particular, it looks like cruise lines may be able to move straight to a relaunch of revenue, commercial cruises, rather than the fairly convoluted arrangements which were previously proposed with these test cruises with volunteers and you know all sorts of very complex protocols. And is it all about vaccination? Are the rules saying that they have to vaccinate everyone in order to restart? Uh, not everyone, but they have set a pretty high bar. Look, in particular, the CDC is saying that they can now sail subject to having agreements with ports about how they would manage an outbreak in terms of not overwhelming the local medical systems, they can sail with 98% of the crew vaccinated and 95% of passengers. 
Now, some lines have said that they're actually going to insist on 100% passenger vaccination. So the CDC's new baseline is less than that. That's very welcome flexibility. And I guess reflecting the reality of a hopefully new normal, um, you know, where the vaccine is controlling the pandemic, and we might all benefit from that. However, locally, we are still stuck with the existing cruise ban, which currently expires on the 17th of June. And I know that can be, you know, relaxed at any time, according to Greg Hunt, but we're not seeing any sign of that. I did find it very interesting that P&O Cruises this week announced it was extending its pause by six weeks through until the 17th of September, i.e. exactly three months after the existing cruise ban expires. You know, perhaps that's indicating that they expect Greg Hunt might do another three-month extension, but then we might have a, you know, a green light to go ahead. Anyway, let's hope so. Hmm. Yes, well, definitely by then, we should have a lot more of our population vaccinated, so fingers crossed. And just to wrap things up, we've now had the Tasman travel bubble open for a couple of weeks. Has that made a difference for the industry? Look, in terms of feeling positive and optimism, I do think so, and some are actually benefiting. I know the phone's and you know, reservation lines are ringing at ski wholesalers uh, for New Zealand ski. There is a whole heap of aviation capacity coming back into the market. I think hundreds of flights already across the Tasman each week. Air New Zealand is uh, announced this week that they're back to seven Australian ports online. They added Adelaide, and they're adding uh, two more Cairns and the Sunshine Coast next month. So people are definitely booking. There's definitely demand, and there is good feeling around. After which I should note is continuing to push hard for ongoing quarterly grant payments for the September and December quarters, you know, basically till the borders reopen, has pointed out for the industry to recover, we really need long haul US, UK and Europe to be going at full pelt. The other issue I've heard about the New Zealand bubble is that while there is demand, it is extremely difficult to get accommodation in New Zealand, particularly on the weekends. Because, you know, just like Australia, the government there has pushed this whole holiday at home idea, staycations. So midweek you can get accommodation. But if you wanted a seven-day package for an Aussie family to go on holidays or whatever, they'd have to sleep on the beach for a couple of nights. That might be a bit of an exaggeration, but we're definitely not out of the woods yet. Indeed. But perhaps the undergrowth is becoming a little less thick. Anyway, that's where we'll wrap it up this week. As always, please help your industry colleagues to find out about our podcast by liking it or giving us a review, five stars, of course, and just telling them about it. Thank you for listening. We so appreciate you and we promise we'll actually be back next week with more news on the fly.